The following message, entitled, The Right Kind of Witness, Part 8 of the series, O Church Arise, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 3rd of April, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Welcome, everybody. My name's Bob, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'd like to welcome you, especially for our visitors this morning. Thanks for coming. And if you're a visitor or you're new to the church, you might think, um, okay, what's he going to preach on this morning? It's probably Jesus or Christ's love or um, God's faithfulness. What do you think we're preaching on this morning? Anybody know? Yeah, lawsuits. And you, you might either be like really interested or disappointed to hear that and probably thinking why is he preaching on lawsuits well I'll tell you why it's a good question one of the things that makes us maybe a little bit different than than some other churches definitely not all other churches uh, in some other churches the pastors like to preach topical messages just messages kind of in random order whatever they feel the church needs at that time and we do that but what we also like to do is to preach through whole books of the Bible. And we feel like when, when God wants to say something, sometimes he'll say it in a, a not-so-popular section of the Bible. So when we preach through the whole book, we're covering everything. And we're kind of letting God choose the topics. We do topicals, but we also preach through whole books. And we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning as we're preaching through that book. And it just so happens that the passage is on lawsuits. So, I knew my crim degree would come in handy as a pastor at some point. But really, guys, this, this is about Jesus Christ as well. Because this book, the scriptures, the Bible, is the mind of Christ. This is how Jesus thinks. And this is how he wants us to realign our minds. And many times, it's very practical. And that's what we're going to see today. We're in a very practical section of the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, when I was a kid in, in the 1980s, I used to watch too much of this one show. You guys probably um, remember this show. As a matter of fact, I found a clip on YouTube, and I'm hoping it works for, for our video projector this morning. Let's see if we can pull this up. If it works, I just want to show it like the first minute of it. Doesn't look like it's going to work. But you probably remember the People's Court, right? Dun, dun, dun. Judge Wapner, remember that? The cases in this that you're about to see are real cases. I wish I could remember what they say, but I used to watch that probably too much. And uh, I remember, that's all right, Ray. Don't worry about it. I remember one time when I was about eight years old, we had a, we had a fresh snow, and um, it snowed like six inches this night, and the neighbor girl, Beth, and I were out playing in the snow, and for some reason, I thought it would be a good idea to make a snowball and whip it at Beth's face, and she didn't have that same perception. She didn't think it was such a good idea, so I smashed it like right in her ear, and Beth picked up this huge hunk of icicle that had fallen off of her roof and um, retaliated by smashing me directly in the nose, 
with that hunk of icicle and all I remember was just my nose started bleeding and the red blood pouring out into the snow and I was I was so angry but I didn't know what to say at eight years old and the worst thing that I could think of to say was I'm suing you <laughs> too much judge Wapner and people's court for me but I mean we have runoffs of that show I think it's still on and we also have the Judge Judy, right? You probably watch Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown. And uh, our society is really into suing and, and watching lawsuits as entertainment. And uh, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. We're going to see today that, that way back in the church in Corinth that this letter is written to, I mean, they had problems too. We've been seeing this throughout the book, right? They had they had all kinds of problems, and this book is kind of like a problem solver for them. They had problems with drunkenness. They had problems with people not getting along, strife and jealousy. Um, they, had, they were partying. Um, there was a lot of sexual immorality, and Paul's hitting these things as we go through the book, and apparently um, they had a problem with suing one another as well because that's what he's addressing in uh, chapter 6 today. And uh, so... Their court system was a little bit different than ours today. Um, it was the same in, in that it was definitely entertainment for people. So they didn't have the internet, they didn't have YouTube, they didn't have TV, and so people would gather around these court hearings. And not only would people gather around to watch, because it was one of the chief forms of entertainment, but their jury system was totally different. Like Where we have 12 jurors, they had, depending on the case, anywhere from... Um, a couple of dozen to a couple of thousand. I mean, so think about like you're at a, it's the fall, you're at a big IUP football game and the stands are filled with thousands of people. That could just be a jury in a case back in Corinth. Everybody who was 30 years old or older had to, had to be involved somehow in lawsuits. So all that to say, it was a big deal. Everybody was suing everybody. It was almost expected that if you had a problem or a dispute with someone in Corinth, you would just sue them because that's how they handled their problems. And the, the message we're going to hear today from this chapter, it, Paul is, is saying, hey, Corinthians, you are a different kind of people. You are saved. We are to march to the beat of a different drum. And so this is a countercultural corrective message for these people. And we might not be as lawsuit happy today, but I think the culture has influenced us more than we think. And so hopefully for, for many of us, this is kind of like pulling your car that's a little bit wobbly up to the realignment center, but we're pulling our, our minds, our brains, up to the biblical realignment center and, and just kind of thinking, where can we be maybe realigned a little bit in our thinking? Where are we pulling a little bit one way, a little bit wobbly? Are we uh, expecting too much to go to court? or Do we want to take things before... Um, the courts as Christians. So that's what uh, this passage is about. Let's read it. It's eight verses. And then we'll just go through it verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Before we, before we read this, let me pray and ask God for his help. Father, uh, we thank you for your help. We thank you that you are, you are so eager to guide us in the right ways to think we thank you for your word that is very practical. And we pray uh, as we go through this that you would help me to preach rightly, that you would help us, give us ears to hear. And uh, Lord, if there's anywhere that we need to change our thinking to align with 
the mind of Christ to align with your word. And we pray that you would show us that this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So before we go on, he is talking to the church here. He's talking to Christians, and he's telling us how we should think about these things. And he's, he's saying, if you have a dispute, if you have a problem with someone, do you dare to go to the courts instead of take it before the saints? Verse 2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. This is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Uh, verse 6 tells us uh, kind of the summary of what's going on here. He says, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So we've got Christians arguing, fighting, filing grievances with other believers in the, in the secular court system. And Paul's saying to them, you, you'd be a witness against your own brother? What kind of a witness is that for Jesus Christ in this world? That's what he's saying. He's saying you can be a witness against your brother in the secular court, or you can be a witness for Jesus Christ. But the two are not compatible. That's his point here. And so the title of our message this morning is simply the right kind of witness. The right kind of witness. And the main idea of this passage, we see it in verse 7, where he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. So when Christians sue, when Christians sue other Christians, nobody wins. That's what he's saying. Even if you go to court and win, it's already a defeat for you. Nobody wins. So it's a really simple straightforward message and I guess I guess we can end there because it's so easy to understand right but I've still got a lot more time so I'll talk more now there there is some more explaining that we can do um, one of the things I'd like to explain is that in our culture the way the court system is and you might be thinking this already you know when we hear a message like this that's so clear and the scripture doesn't give exceptions I think a lot of us just think, well, what about this or what about that, right? I mean, you're probably thinking of those things already. And um, because the confusion is brewing, I'll take up all my time and we'll go on. And I want to I clarify this one thing uh, about our court system. I worked in the court system for eight years before I was a pastor. And uh, our court system is maybe a little bit different than theirs in that we have criminal court and we have civil court. Now, the difference is important to understand as we look at this passage. 
In, um, in criminal court, the government brings a charge against somebody who they believe has committed a crime. So, uh, my friend John Scherf's a police officer here with the borough, and he works, he works for the government, for the borough. So if John believes that somebody has committed a crime, then, and even if it's another Christian that committed this crime, John can arrest that person or charge them in criminal court. And that's totally okay. This passage doesn't forbid that. Because it's a crime, John is a government authority, this doesn't say that we shouldn't be held accountable for our crimes as Christians. But what it does apply to today is civil court. That's the kind of thing we see on Judge Judy and Judge Wapner. And that is when somebody has a personal offense against somebody else and is speaking of Christians in the church. And they, they, they file a charge against someone in civil court. So civil court is... If you feel like you were wronged or defrauded, you can take that person to court. And really, I mean, that's, that's what Paul's talking about. That's what happened in Corinth a lot. And so the point in this passage, we're not talking about cribble suit, uh, cribble. No, we're not talking about cribble suits. We're not talking about civil suits. We're, we're, yeah, okay, scratch that. Man, we're not talking about criminal suits. I got it. We're talking about civil suits. One citizen suing another. So just to eliminate that confusion right off the bat, um, we're going to see three simple ideas in this passage, Ray, if we could project these three big ideas of these verses. Number one, God doesn't want us to farm out our disputes to outsiders. Number two, it brings shame on the church when we can't work stuff out amongst ourselves. And number three, when all else fails, just lay down your rights and suffer wrong. Now, these aren't my opinions. These are what the passage says. So I want to look at it a little more carefully so we can see this. Verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go before to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, there's a couple confu- potentially confusing things in this verse that I'd like to explain to us. First of all, there are two groups of people in this verse that you can go before when a, a Christian has a grievance against another Christian. Who are they in verse 1? Who are the two groups, the two options for us? The church, or what does it say in specifically there? The saints, church of the saints, and who else? The, un, the unrighteous, or your translation might say unjust. Now, this can be confusing. I want to clarify something here. Um, the unrighteous in this passage, it's, it's better to understand this as unjustified. What he's saying here, he's not saying the courts are, the courts are just so corrupt. Now, some of them are. Um, like I said, I worked in the courts for many years, and, but there are some really good, um, fair judges Fair attorneys, I mean, they're, he's not saying all the courts are bad when he says unrighteous. The best translation would be unjustified, and we understand as Christians justified in a couple of senses, and the one he's talking about here is justified like saved, like, like what we sang about this morning, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are justified, and so it becomes like you're just as if you've never sinned. 
and you're perfectly righteous, holy ones. That's, that's what he's talking about. He's just saying, you can take it before unbelievers, or you can take it before this other group. Who's this other group? The saints. And who are the saints? Yeah, I mean, does he want us to... Is he talking about, like, somebody that Roman Catholic Church recognizes as a, a, a super holy person? I was trying to think whenever, because a lot of people understand it this way, I was trying to think, are there even any, like, technical saints that, like, St. Peter or St. Uh, Agnes or St. Patrick, or are there any, like, formally recognized saints still alive today? Like, if you're thinking through the Roman Catholic Church and who they recognize and I, I looked online, I couldn't find any, but then I found one. And it's, it might be a surprise to you guys. There is an officially recognized saint today, still alive. Ray, do we have his, his um, photograph here? Saint Mark. The, the, this isn't talking about the saint like like the roman catholic church sees it saint just means like literally if you would go back to the greek it means holy one holy one that means one who's set apart and that's the point of this guys we're to be people who are set apart from the world jesus christ has set us apart we're not citizens of this kingdom we're citizens of another kingdom and that's all he's saying here. You can take it to the citizens of this kingdom, or you can take it to the citizens of the kingdom who Jesus Christ has set you in. We're all saints. Every believer here is a saint. So that's all he's saying in verse 1. And he says there in verse 1, does he dare? Like Paul's saying, you dare to go to law? Paul, Paul's singing, this is a big deal. You people should know, Paul's saying, you shouldn't do this. This reminds me of like, on the Christmas story, when I see that word dare, I think of uh, the, the guy who double-dog dared him to touch his tongue on that pole, remember that, that metal thing, and, um, and it got stuck. And, and, you know, guys love to dare one another, and a lot of times it doesn't end well. And so, you know, Paul's saying, hey, this is not going to end well. Do you dare to do this? This is foolish, he's saying. And it's almost like he's saying, how dare you? How dare you take these matters before people who aren't even, they don't even have the same standards as us. It's not that they couldn't do a good job. The, the issue is deeper than that. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, there are the saints and there are the ain'ts. And you're supposed to keep it in the body of saints. It's not that they're corrupt. It's not that they couldn't do a good job. It's not that they couldn't settle your matter. And they might even win back your money for you. But Paul's saying it's better to keep it in-house because we are under a higher law. We're actually under a law that the Bible calls the law of Christ. And the law of Christ means we love one another and we stay united as one no matter what because we're devoted to one another. The law of Christ means we forgive unconditionally because we've been forgiven unconditionally. And so that's what Paul's basing this whole thing on. He's saying, hey, we have a higher standard than the law of the land. Not that we're not under the law of the land. We are as citizens here. But when we have disputes, Paul's saying, we should be able to settle this in-house. Now, 
You might be thinking, and they might have been thinking, that'll never work. How would that, you don't know my situation. That will never work. And Paul's anticipating that question because he's going to, he's going to encourage them in the, in the literal sense. He's going to in, inspire courage in them to be able to step up and do this thing that they probably don't think they can do. And he's going to tell them, yes, it will work, and here's why. He goes through this series of rhetorical questions starting in verse 2, and he's making a case. He says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? It's like Paul saying here, don't you know who you are? Don't you know what you're going to do? Don't you know what God has in store for all of us to do? Don't you know what He's equipped us to do when He gave us His Spirit and He gave us His Word? We've been through the training. We're equipped for this. And Paul's telling them, don't you know this? Now, this, think if, if, have you ever had someone in your life maybe encourage you in that sense? Kind of believe in you that you could do something that you didn't feel like you could do. Maybe you didn't feel like you were qualified for something and you, were, you had a lot of doubt. And somebody who you really trusted said, you got this, I know you can do this. You're capable of this. This is kind of what, Paul, what God, through the Apostle Paul, is doing to the Corinthians right here. He's encouraging them. He's instilling, instilling courage in them. And in the same way, this passage encourages us. We can do this because we're going to judge the world. We're going to judge the world. This reminds me a little bit of the hobbit, Bilbo Baggins. He had this humble guy who really didn't have a lot of confidence in what the bigger plan for him was. And he had a lot of doubt. And you had this wizard, you have the wizard Gandalf who came to him and said, you know, this is what... This is what you're going to do. This is what you're chosen for. And he had, he had a lot of doubts. But, but Gandalf believed in him. He said, hey, little guy, you've got this. You're the guy for this. And this is kind of what's going on here when Paul is, is saying this. You've got this. You guys are qualified for this. You're fully capable of this. You can do this. And he says, don't you know you're, you're going to judge the world? Now, what does that mean? That... The saints, who we've already determined are, are us, are going to judge the world. Every single believer in this room is going to have a part in judging the world. And we don't have a lot of time to go into that, but the Bible does tell us that when Jesus returns, that he is going to physically rule and reign on this earth, and that we are going to rule the nations with him. And that we are going to judge the nations with him. One day he's going to come back and he's going to judge everyone. And the Bible tells us that we're going to play a part in that judgment. Now, I don't know exactly what that means and I don't know exactly how that's going to all play out. But we, if we had time, we could look at a lot of verses that do tell us that. The book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, the book of 1 Thessalonians. These verses tell us that. And in verse 3... He's even ramping it up a bit. He's saying, yeah, you're qualified to judge the world, but you know what? You're even qualified to judge a higher creation than that, 
the angels. Verse 3 says, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? He's saying, you're going to judge. You're going to judge the highest created being, angels, one day. These matters that we have today, these are, these are nothing compared to that. So what's the deal with judging angels? Um, we could look at one verse in 2 Peter that I think applies to this. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It, it, it describes there are good angels and there are bad angels. I don't think we're going to judge the good angels because they didn't do anything wrong. But the bad angels did. And this verse tells us, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, some of them sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until when? Judgment. I believe we're going to play a part in that judgment. So we'll probably be a part of that. And again, I don't know how all this is going to work, but Paul says in verse 4, back in our passage in chapter 6, so if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? The bottom line here, the bottom line is, Paul's saying, why are you farming these cases out to people who don't have the same standards, people who don't have the same spirit, people who don't even have the same God as us? We're citizens of a whole different kingdom. So, it, it's almost like, when I was thinking this, and he's saying, you're, you're qualified for this, why are you doing this? It's almost like if there was a family of master plumbers, like the best plumbers in the world, and they, their drain got clogged, and they called that guy on the billboard with the parrot on his shoulder, you know, that, you, you ever see that, I don't know, there's a plumber, he's a parrot on his shoulder, and I don't know why, but it's for like $49 you can call this guy to unclog your drain. Okay, that wasn't very fun. All right, it's almost like if, uh, if, if there was like Navy SEALs training, like the best of the best. They do their physical training. They're high-class athletes. And they said, we need someone to train us. Let's call Richard Simmons in to do our physical training regiment. I mean, really, that's kind of what it's like, right? He's saying, you guys are varsity. You're calling JV. What's going on here? You should be able to figure this stuff out yourselves. This would be like if Greg asked me to sing at Brielle's wedding. Not that Brielle's getting married. Where are you at, Brielle? Don't get married yet. You're too young. But that's, that's, the, that's the idea here. He's saying, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? And he tells them, basically, you should be ashamed of yourselves. That's our big idea number two. Big idea number two, it brings shame on the church when we can't work stuff out amongst ourselves. I don't know if that's amongst or among. Grammar people? I, I was so confused yesterday. It doesn't matter. I like amongst. It sounds more intelligent. He says in verse 5, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Basically, he's saying, shame on you. That's what he's saying here. I say this to your shame. And this is pretty hardcore stuff because this word 
I mean, it means shame. It can also mean literally embarrassment. Paul's, Paul's almost saying, I, I want you to be embarrassed about this. Now, this isn't like, this doesn't sound Christian. Normally, we say, I don't want you to be embarrassed, but Paul's saying, I want you to be embarrassed. We'll say things like, I, I don't want you to feel, God would not want you to feel any shame. Paul's saying, I do. You should be ashamed of yourselves. That's what he's saying here. And uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, he's being hardcore, and that should show us something. That should show us that there are things in, God feels strongly about everything in his word, but there are things in his word that it's like he feels really strongly about. And apparently this is one of those things, because Paul's coming down pretty hard on these people. So he's saying, hey, this is embarrassing, guys. It's embarrassing when we can't work this stuff out amongst ourselves, and we have to take it before outside courts. And not only is it embarrassing, but hey, it brings shame on the name of Jesus Christ when we do this. So that's, that's what he's saying, and that's the, the, the big idea of the very short point number two. It brings shame on the name of Jesus and on us as his people when we can't figure things out ourselves. In this last section, we're going to see God answer some objections here. So, I know when I read this, I can be thinking things like, you, you, some of you might be thinking things like, but my, especially if you're going through something, you might be thinking, my attorney says that I have a legitimate case here, and uh, if I don't take this to court, I'm going to lose everything. And God's anticipating this objection in the last uh, idea here. Or you might be thinking, but God wants me to be happy. He wouldn't want me to suffer loss. He wouldn't want me to be defrauded, would he? Or, probably, you might be thinking, but the people in the church didn't help me. They didn't help at all. I've been ripped off. If I go to court, I know I can get my stuff back. I know I can get this resolved. These people didn't help. Well, God's going to answer these objections in a very clear and simple way. And this is big idea number three. It comes from verses six through eight. My words, when, it all, when all else fails, God says just lay down your rights and suffer wrong. Let's look at his words. Verses six through eight. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. You know, when I was looking to study this passage uh, through the week, sometimes I drive about 30 minutes to get to church, so sometimes I'll download messages from other uh, churches to listen, to see what their pastors are saying about it. And it was amazing. Like, the, the websites I normally go to to download messages, probably 75% of them skipped 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. They didn't have any message on that. And that's discouraging because this is something God wants to tell us. This is something we need to hear. I don't know why they skipped it. Maybe because it's hard. But God wants us to hear hard things sometimes. And so... What he's saying here is, is very difficult, but I think when we understand something about this, 
it'll make it, it'll make it a lot easier for us to, to grasp and to actually carry out. Look, God, the Bible tells us in many places, God is the ultimate judge anyways. God is the ultimate judge. And there will be many things that aren't reconciled during our time here on earth. But this time is so short compared to eternity. I mean, on a timeline, it's a speck. And then it goes on and on and on and on. And it's so short. And when we understand that God is the ultimate judge, it's really exciting to know that He's on our side, isn't it? You remember when you were a a little kid, when I was a little kid, I remember in gym class and in backyard sports games and stuff, we would pick teams. And there was always that one kid who was really, really good. You remember that? And you wanted him on your team because you knew that even if you got all the rest of them, you would win because he was so good. That's kind of like how we have it, especially, especially if we're in some sort of disagreement and we know that we're on the right side, the side that lines up with God. If we've been taken advantage of, if we've been wronged, God is on your side. It's like Mark read this morning. God is, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is the defender of those who walk in His ways, the Psalms and the Proverbs tell us. And so, you don't have to worry. He's the judge anyways. Now, we don't always see, like I said, things physically working out for us in this life, but many times we do. But we know that He's going to work it out anyways. One time, uh, one time years ago, I, I had a, a business, and um, a landscaping business, and I lost a large amount of money. And, I mean, it was legitimate. I'm not, it was legitimate. The guy ripped me off. And the guy who ripped me off was a Christian. And, you know, I, I tried to talk to him, and he wouldn't hear it. Now, I could have taken him to court. I believe I could have taken him to court and won pretty easily. Because before I had my business, I worked for the courts for eight years. I knew how things worked, and I I had a case against him. But I knew he was a Christian. And I knew he was a part, he wasn't from this church. He was a part of his church. um, And people respected him. And I thought about this, and I talked with my wife, and we prayed about it. And according to this passage and some others, we came to the conclusion that our responsibility in this matter was to forgive him. And so that's what we did. See, many times we can think about our rights, and we can be so focused on our rights. But this is a passage where God calls us to lay down our rights and focus on our responsibility toward other believers. And I know for many of you that even though this passage is calling us, telling us how to act between brothers in the church, brothers and sisters, um, for many of you, you take it even beyond that. I know many of you who wouldn't take anyone to court. And I think that's okay. And a lot of times I think that does do a lot for our witness. And one example that I have, when I had my business, I did a job for an elderly woman who was probably going a little bit senile at the time, but um, did a big job. It was a several thousand dollar 
job that I had lined up with her. And uh, at one point, she, you know, she had paid me. And then she started feeling like I ripped her off. And, and I didn't. It was all legitimate. I probably could have charged her a lot more. But she started accusing me of ripping her off, taking her money. And Jane and I prayed about this again. And she wasn't a believer. But I had shared the gospel with this woman maybe a month before when I, was, when I started the job with her. And she wasn't a Christian, but she seemed interested. And uh, as Jane and I were talking about it, Jane read me a verse from Proverbs 22.1 that says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So, you know what? We decided the best witness that we could have in this was just to give her all the money back. Just to give her all the money back. And so, that's what we did. And... This woman, as, as um, I went to her house and told her, you know, you can just have it all back, she began to tear up, and I remember she said, the first thing she said was, I've been thinking a lot about what you told me about Jesus. And I thought, wow, well maybe, maybe this will be a witness for him. I didn't talk to her since. A couple months later, I saw her obituary in the paper. And uh, I don't know what happened, but I hope to see her again someday. So, this is about our responsibility. This isn't about our rights. Because when you understand that God is the judge, and it's all His anyways, and He's going to work it out all one day, it's all okay. It's all good. Sometimes that means laying down our rights for other, uh, for other people. And, and really, I'll end it with this. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? This is why. This is why this is so important to God. Let's look at, to end, let's look at Matthew chapter 18. A passage where Jesus perfectly illustrates everything that this passage teaches us in a story. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I just want to read this and comment on it. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So Peter's talking here about his brother, another person who's another believer. And Peter's probably thinking he's pretty spiritual because he says, seven times, Lord? Like, whoo, that's, that's a lot. And Jesus said, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. And, and other translations capture it better. It's probably 70 times seven is the way Jesus said that, which is 490 so no, not seven times, a lot more than that. And he illustrates this with a story, and he says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, now imagine this king, and he's sitting there at his desk, and he's looking over his books, and he's settling these accounts. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents... That's a lot of cash. Uh, I looked in my study tools and commentaries at how much that was, and there's a little bit of variance, but basically it is um, a thousand weeks of wages for an average laborer. I think of that. A, a thousand, no, wait. No, one talent. One talent is a thousand weeks of wages. So think about this. Math whizzes, 52 weeks in a year. 
um, 10,000 talents. I don't know if anybody's quick enough to figure this out, but if my math is right, this is like 192,000 years worth of wages. 192,000 years worth of wages. I don't, how did this guy even take this much money? I mean, that's amazing to me. But this is, a, this is a story Jesus is telling to prove a point. So, it's a lot of money. This is more money than we, we will ever see. Verse 25, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. Now, that's another thing. How did he spend that much money? But anyway, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And listen to this, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And this is incredible. Nobody here has ever had a debt that large. I mean, nobody here has ever had a debt that large. And this, or have we, actually? Maybe we have, haven't we? Not against an earthly king, right? But against the king of kings. See, when we, when we sin against an infinite God, then we owe an infinite debt to repay Him. It's because of how valuable He is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This is a parable, a physical parable, that illustrates a spiritual truth. Who's the king in this passage? It's Jesus. And we're the one who had a debt we could never pay. And he said, I'll have pity on you. I'll forgive you. Now, watch what happens. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. You know how much that is? That's like peanuts. That's pocket change compared to the other debt. I mean, it's, it's a good amount because it's a hundred days' wages. But it's not 192,000 years of wages. It's a hundred days' wages. So it's nothing. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this dude's not seeing things clearly, is he? He'd just been forgiven an infinite debt. And he's, this guy owes him a hundred denarii, and he's choking him. Same thing, for much less. Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The simple point of this story is that Jesus has forgiven us of a debt that we could never pay. And when we put ourselves at a higher standard than our king, there's something wrong with that. Because Jesus forgave your brother or your sister as well. That's the 
the main idea in that parable. And really that's what the whole passage we looked at in 1 Corinthians 6 is based on. Jesus said something else in John 13 that I want to end with. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? He said, if you have love for one another. Now, if we're showing the all people something else, like we can't forgive each other, we're having grievances and disputes and arguments and we can't get along, well, that's going against what Jesus said here. So, the three big ideas of this passage, just to, just to kind of land this plane and nail these things down. Number one, big idea one, God doesn't want us to farm out disputes to outside courts. He wants us to handle them ourselves. Number two, it brings shame on the church when you can't work stuff out amongst ourselves. When we can't work stuff out amongst ourselves. And number three, when all else fails, just lay down your rights and suffer wrong. Now, I know the way our minds work. We're looking for legal loopholes here. We're looking for exceptions. But this passage doesn't give any. And so I'm just going to preach this passage the way God intended for it today. And if you have an, an issue and you're wondering about it, just pray, ask God to give you wisdom about it, and maybe ask some other believers. But this is a passage where God tells us we need to have our priorities in order and our priority is love and forgiveness, unconditional love, devotion to our brothers and sisters, unity in the church. That is a far higher priority than our rights. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for encouraging us with your word. Thank you for helping us to realign our thinking in areas where maybe the culture flows in a different direction. And we pray that you would help us to better understand your mercy toward us, each one of us, so that, so that we might be able to give mercy to our brothers and sisters, so that we might be able to reconcile with our brothers and sisters and put these things behind us. And we pray, Lord, for the wisdom to judge rightly as you've called us to judge these matters, Lord. When we begin to bring matters before other Christians, we pray that you would give us wisdom so that we would judge rightly and help them, that we can resolve our grievances and keep it in the family. And Lord, we pray that as a result of this, that your church would be a great witness for Jesus in Indiana County and throughout the world. Thank you, Lord. Give us strength. We need you, Jesus. In your name, amen.